0: to you with the natural goodness of Viridian Nutrition, available at Browns. I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Johan Sigerson is an award-winning wildlife photographer from Sweden who has made his home here in Malta. From 2013 to today, Johan's emotive and evocative wildlife photography has been nominated and won international awards across Europe and way beyond. But Johan's most recent piece is based here in Malta. Marvellous Malta, where the wild orchids grow, is exactly that, a large format hardback coffee table work of art that shows a very different wildlife, both in detail and the abstract. And incidentally, Johan was one of the very first people that I interviewed as a drive-time DJ nearly five years ago. As a very special place in my heart, because you were actually very kind to me on that show. Thank you so much, Johan.
1: Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Was it five years ago already?
0: I think it's nearly five. Oh, Oh, it is five years ago. What are we in November? Yeah, it would have been five years ago.
1: Really? Time passes fast.
0: D- uh, time passes <laughs> fast. I can remember you being the very first interview, and I remember thinking to myself, how on earth do I do interviews? How do I press all the buttons?
1: You never told me this before, as I was <laughs> I was that nice to you.
0: <laughs> was I that professional? Um, listen, I'm really excited because I follow you. I have followed you since I met you nearly five years ago. Uh, and we're going to talk about your most recent work and your book in a few minutes. But before we do that, I wanna kind of set the background story because here you are, a wildlife photographer in Malta, who's been here 20 years. Explain to me, first of all, how did you get into photography and why did you get into photography?
1: Well, um, I was always interested in the the natural world, uh, since I was very, very young. Photography came a little bit later hasn't been that long actually i started properly say 2012 and i went on a safari that i got as a as a birthday present i believe it was i bought a relatively cheap uh, dslr camera a rented lens and uh, off we went from there on i on that on that safari i took one image or i took many several images of course but one of the images i sent into the Wildlife Photographer of the Year. It's a competition hosted by BBC and the National History Museum in London. And it actually came to the final uh, out of 50,000 entries. So I thought maybe this is is what I should be doing.
0: Hang on a second, hang on a second. Yeah, let's go back. So you've always been interested in wildlife. You get a birthday present to go on safari. You buy a, a camera and you rent the lens and then you outdo... Thousands of other people who've been doing this for a really long time.
1: Yeah, it's true. I think it's about at that time I think the, to the final. You, it was like 1,000 pictures out of 50,000. So either it was just luck or uh, or it was <laughs> some kind of talent, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it was exciting and obviously I got inspired and wanted to do more. I bought my own lens eventually, obviously, and, uh, <laughs> and it continued from there, yeah.
0: But what were you doing before you went on safari, took this photograph, what, you know, got to the finals and decided that's what you should be
1: doing? I have a, an education in um, graphic design and uh, i used to work with websites uh, doing flyers and all these kind of things here in Malta. actually for various reasons i stopped that and i started my own travel agency like uh, language travel agency for a few years uh, which which i stopped uh, when the that big recession and after that we had kids so it was a good time to my my wife works full time so It was a uh, good time to have kids. Then I decided to stay at home with the kids for a few years. And then in 2012, I started this photography sort of journey.
0: So... Graphic design is not that unrelated to photography in that both of those are creative and as part of a graphic designer, you're going to be looking at images a lot of the time and you're going to be judging what is a good image and what is a not a, a good image. So you kind of had a bit of a head start.
1: Yeah, that I was always interested in nature and I was always interested in the sort of graphic design world, so to speak. But And I think that shows also in my images. I'm not fanatic about what is on the images. I'm more interested in how what they look like. So many wildlife photographers or nature photographers, they are get excited when it's some specific species on the pictures. I'm more interested when it looks good, uh, whether it's a polar bear from the Arctic or if it's a bee from here in Malta. So, yeah, I think it shows a bit in my my images, yeah.
0: So the composition is the king?
1: Composition, yeah, composition and obviously forms and shapes and and lines and, and patterns and so on, yeah
0: you had this passion for wildlife, then you came a finalist in this BBC competition and that kick-started your interest in becoming a wildlife photographer. But here's my question for you. You take wildlife photography in regions that are not local, to Malta. So I can understand Scandinavia and I can understand taking photographs in Malta. But you also have some incredible photography in Africa and Asia. Why those regions? What what particularly interested you about those regions?
1: I mean, I've been watching nature documentaries on TV since I was a little boy. So obviously Africa is always interesting. I mean, the most important thing for me is how the picture looks, but obviously my nature interest also sort of inspires me to go to, to different places and see different things. But again, a straight-up portrait of a lion in Africa doesn't really inspire me. It has to be something something different. Obviously, it's nice to go to different places. And also my, my job takes me to different places. I also work as a, as a guide on tours, so uh, I, I go where, where, where the company wants me to go, obviously, uh, whether that is Scandinavia or Madagascar or Japan or whatever it might be. It's a combination of, of a lot of things that uh, takes you to these places, which is obviously amazing.
0: So then why Malta? So I'm trying to bring this full circle. What brought you to Malta in the first place? And uh, My wife. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now my wife okay. is Maltese. Okay. We were actually supposed to live in Sweden. She was to, supposed to move to Sweden. She had This was before Malta was part of the EU. So there was a lot of administrating bureaucracy kind of things, interviews in Rome with the embassies and these kind of things. And when we got everything settled and she was supposed to move, we got a good client here in Malta for for graphic design and, and so on. So we decided to stay for, for a few months to see how it went. <laughs> and I'm still here 20 years later. 20 years,
0: years late. later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can totally empathize with that story. Yeah. Absolutely. I was supposed to be here for three months as well. Yeah. So to round that up, wildlife photography because that was your passion and because you borrowed a lens and bought a camera and became a finalist in a rather big competition. Malta because your wife brought you here and these locations that you go to take photography because that's where the interesting stuff is but also because you also have interest in working there as a guide. Yeah, correct. Right, but sorry to be blunt, but how does an award-winning wildlife photographer make an income?
1: That's, that's the problem. <laughs> as I said, my bread and butter is selling prints, uh, fine art prints uh, that people hang on the wall. Either I sell them privately from me to, to the actual client or through a gallery or, or through websites and so on. Uh, and then, as I said, I also work as a guide on these tours Uh, which pays quite well, but obviously they're not that frequent. It doesn't happen every week. It's a few times every year.
0: And probably not even now because of the pandemic.
1: No, um, I haven't had any of those uh, (laughs) trips since, uh, obviously since 2019. So that was one of the reasons why I did this book, because I was sort of trapped here and uh, I decided I cannot just sit and wait because I don't know if it's going to take three months or if it's going to take... Five years. So. Well, we're
0: coming to the book. Yeah. We are coming to the book. I'm still, I, yeah, I yeah. love talking to you, so I'm still grilling you about everything else. You've had these amazing photographs. You've had some incredible photographs that, that have won awards or been nominated for awards as well. So we're not just talking about somebody who picked up a camera and said, okay, I'm going to take pictures and see if I can sell them. You're a very accomplished photographer as well. When, going back, when you picked up that camera for the first time and you went on that safari, Could you ever have imagined that this is where you'd be doing this full time?
1: No, not at all. I had no idea how to use the camera at that time. I had the camera before, but it was always on automatic, uh, like everyone else uses it. And I actually, we had a guide on that trip, which I actually had to ask how to use it. We were there for like a week and I didn't know how to set, you know, the, the most basic settings of the camera. So he taught me, you know, the absolute basic, and uh, from there, from there we went. So obviously, I had uh, no, no idea how, what this was going to, uh, was going to be out of this after after this trip. But yeah, here we are now.
0: Let's focus on at work for just a second. Which of your photographs would you say that you're most proud of? Is it an, an obvious answer because? Would it be her hand of the snow monkey in Japan? I've seen so many times from the abyss. This is an incredible photograph. But would you say that's what you're most
1: proud of? The problem is, which also I think, I actually talked to someone about this a few days ago. I'm very rarely happy with any of my images. I always manage to find faults in them, which is because... I think because I took them myself, so I know what, how it was and how I could have done it better next time. It's very rarely that I say, ah, oh, this was 100%. It almost never happens. Um, but these are things that other people don't see, most probably, because you're into it so much yourself. I was there myself when the picture was taken. You always manage to find some, something wrong with it. Yes, that image that you mentioned is probably one of the most successful ones, it won a few competitions and went far in a few others. And it has sold very well to, to various people. Um, that specific image actually sold to a to a Premier League player. Who, who, who? And I cannot say which one. It wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be right. <laughs> You're such a boo-hiss. So, yeah, probably that's one the most successful one. Whether that is the one I'm most proud of or not, um, I don't know. But there are a few other images which I'm more proud of, I think, but no one has probably ever seen them, or uh, very few ever seen.
0: What, when you take a photograph, makes you say that was a good job?
1: That, that one that we talked about, from the abyss, it's obviously one of the ones I'm, I'm proud of, but uh, it was, for me the image has to tell some kind of story, you have to evoke some kind of emotion with your images, which is not that easy with wildlife photography. It's much easier with... Uh, if you do, I don't know, war photography or uh, photojournalism, because it's much easier to relate to um, a poor kid in Africa, for example, or someone uh, hurt uh, or something like that. But it's not that re- easy to relate to, um, I don't know, a duck or, uh, or a, cray, a bird of some sort, uh, obviously. So that one that you mentioned, that's probably why um, that has been... Uh, so successful because the first time I saw that picture was you know you get some kind of feeling uh, I don't know it's a bit scary maybe you, you're wondering what it is is it, a, is it like a really hairy person or is it a, some kind of animal so you you, you create some kind of uh, question uh, with the viewer or you, you evoke some kind of emotion or interest and that that is hard with with wildlife photography and uh, I think that is what makes uh, an image, uh, a wildlife image, uh, successful.
0: I'm going to come back to something you just said a second ago before we move on. And that was that not one single photograph, or rarely is there a single photograph that is perfect. Now, Photoshop has changed the way that we receive photography and whether that be through fashion or it be through anything now when you said that not one single photograph is perfect why don't you just change it in photoshop
1: number one i don't use photoshop at all because and it's a very simple reason for that um wildlife photography is uh, you, you're not it's, you cannot compare it to fashion or or uh, certain other uh areas of photography if you take part in a competition with your photos of wildlife you're not allowed to change anything You can do global changes, such as uh, increase the contrast a little bit or saturation or something like that. You cannot remove anything, you cannot add anything. Even if it's just a a grass coming in from the side, you're not allowed to remove it. Because if you go further in the competition, they will request the original file and they will compare it and they will disqualify you. I would say the most I do in the sense of sort of manipulation, if you can call it that, is, is you highlight certain areas. and and dark in other areas sometimes and obviously sometimes you make them black and white or or something like that but no I was from the beginning I never really did any of these things because it would be useless if you take part in competitions especially I take a little bit more freedom if there is if there is some um, a picture that's going to hang on someone's wall because then it's then it's sort of more, more of art than it is uh, nature photography. But still, uh, not much. I wouldn't say I do much. No.
0: You mentioned, Johan, just a few minutes ago about not being able to travel through the pandemic. And that you were here in Malta. And that there was a process that you found yourself concentrating on what we have in Malta. Rather than looking at what you had done before. Which is, of course... The, the big scale wildlife photography, but where did the concept for a book on orchids come from? How did this develop? What is that conversation? You you say what did you say to decide to have a you know to to create a book on orchids?
1: The simple answer is uh, that I don't know. I, I can't remember why I decided on orchids especially. I've had some talks recently about the book, and this question came up as well. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember why I chose orchids uh, of, over other things, because I've never photographed flowers in any professional manner. I never really bothered about plants in general or trees or anything of those. There was always animals for me. and but when the pandemic hit, uh, obviously all the travel plans went went uh, bust and and I had to eventually I decided I have to do something. so this will be a good time to do something locally. I know that I saw one of the orchids, which is a very specific orchid, which sparked my interest. It is called the naked man orchid, which actually looks like a naked man. (laughs) Uh, I need to see this. Yeah. In one way or other, I decided I'm going to do a body of works on orchids. It was never meant to be a book. Uh, I said, "I, I start working on this. I do some kind of photographic project on this. And maybe it ends up as, a, as a, you know, exhibition or, or something like that. But then I got a little bit uh, obsessive. So I was out, because uh, obviously this is my job. I don't have any other job I have to go to. So uh, I got a bit obsessive and went out, not every day, but many days of the week. And eventually this body of works became bigger and bigger and bigger. Someone told me you should make a book. And then it turned out to be, I said, why only make one book? We can make more books. So now this, the plan with this book is that it's the first book in a series of books about Maltese uh, nature or, or environment. Um, obviously, it's very specific. It's only orchids. It's not, only, it's not even flowers in Malta, it's orchids in Malta. Well, hang
0: on a second. Is, are there enough orchids in Malta to make a very large, hardback, thick, inch-thick book about?
1: There are 37 different species, all in all. From the beginning, I uh, quickly realised I would never be able to photograph all of them. Why? It's not like they run away. Uh, No, but some of them are extremely rare. There's only one or or two plants left in all of Malta.
0: You're serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: There is a species of
0: orchid in Malta where there's only one or two of this plant left.
1: Yeah, many. When you ask someone how many species of orchids do we have, it's very hard to answer exactly because some of the species hasn't been observed for, for example, 10 years. Does that mean that we, it doesn't exist anymore? Or does it mean that we just haven't seen it? No one has seen it. I mean, it can grow somewhere where, where no one has seen it. So uh, the scientific world sort of decides at one point or another, now this, we consider this species extinct. I don't know the criteria for it, to be honest. But uh, when I started this project, it was considered, generally accepted, that we have 36 different species. And I would say one third of those are relatively easy to find. And the other two thirds are extremely hard to find. Uh, Either because they are presumed extinct or no one has seen them for a long time, or that there is only a very few plants left. Like the cover image of the book, for example, there is extremely few lifts. And I was very lucky to find that one.
0: Of the 37 different types of orchid, how many did you manage to, to
1: shoot? That's also a bit hard to say. As far as I know, there was one orchid, for example, which was recently divided into seven different species. Um, and just by looking at them, it's very hard to decide which one is, is what. I have photographed some of those in my book, and I, to be honest, I don't know if, which one it is. So
0: you've got a, a photograph of an orchid, but you're not entirely sure what no, it is. No,
1: and I'm not interested, to be honest. Uh, again, I'm interested in what it looks like, not, not what the name of it is. At the back of the book, there is an index, and some of them, are, oh, most of them, I know. And the ones which you don't know, there is a way of writing in a proper way. Uh, when you don't know which one it is. It was never interesting for me to these things. I'm a photographer, not a botanist. The the whole book is about shapes, forms, um, patterns, and so on. If if someone is interested in all the different, uh, like a comprehensive guide to Maltese orchids, this is not the book. There is another book for that. The book is also about trying to get more people interested in not only orchids, but the natural world, to see how, how beautiful it can actually be. Um, what we see, have around us
0: see this this is was my next question and you've kind of already answered it for me thank <laughs> you very much indeed but in the preamble you invite the reader to join you on an illustrative journey of the fascinating miniature world of Maltese orchids yeah I love the fact that Maltese orchids are so tiny as well. They really are. And you have to be kind of careful when you're walking around, you're walking the dog, that you don't just stand on them. But I was going to ask you, what is the aim of the book? And I'm assuming that there are several aims.
1: The first aim is that I wanted to create something people think is beautiful. And the reason for that is because the last couple of years, as I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of negative news about Maltese environment and nature and so on. And rightly so. It could be people blasting birds out of the sky, cutting down trees for um, road widening or developing properties in all areas or whatever it might be. And yes, we need to know these things, obviously. But I think that for the normal people, not the passionate people who are environmentalists and so on, Um, But for the sort of normal people, it becomes like a filter after some time. When you scroll through your Facebook feed and Instagram or whatever it might be, eventually you just say, ah, more trees chopped up. Okay, more birds slaughtered, whatever it might be. And I wanted to sort of take uh, the opposite way. I wanted to create something beautiful, something positive, so that people actually start caring uh, because we actually have beautiful things around us, which most people don't know that we have even orchids at all. I know I have met so many people during this sort of this year that had no idea that we have orchids. So how can we protect orchids if we don't even know that we have them, most people? So that was one of my first aim, to create something positive. Secondly, obviously, I would say it's a first of its kind for Malta, this book, not not that it's only uh, about orchids, but a large scale coffee table book, which is Focused on the photography, I haven't found any. I might be wrong, but I haven't found any in any subject uh, concerning nature. There's plenty of similar books about Valletta or Mdina or something like that, but nothing about uh, the natural world. Um, there are several guidebooks about trees, about flowers, about insects, or, or the, but nothing. Um, which is focused on the photography and the beauty, only the beauty of the things, the aesthetics, so to speak. So that was the second aim.
0: The book is beautiful. And it's not... You're welcome. (laughs) And it's not just beautiful because the flowers are beautiful, but there's a lot of abstract angles. And as you said, it's only one third of the, the orchids, but you've managed to fill a full coffee table, inch thick coffee table book of beautiful images of plants. But was it as thrilling? Has it given you as much satisfaction as going out and photographing a snow monkey or a, a herd of zebras or a lion or...?
1: I can't really compare it. It's, it's totally different. Uh, when you're photographing animals, uh, normally you are relatively stationary yourself and the animals are moving. They do things, they fight, they play. Uh, they they do things and you, you're you trying to capture uh, different behaviour and, and, and expressions and so on. Uh, orchids do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just there. So
0: They're just minding their own business yeah. and along comes a Swedish photographer and sticks a camera right in their nose.
1: They only move when it's windy, which is not good for photography. That was one of the main challenges, especially since I didn't have... 37 different species to work with. I had to be the one that moved instead of of the orchid, uh, and trying to find, as you said, different angles, different lights, different settings for the where where the where the flower is. So it I would say it took more from me as a photographer than taking photos of wildlife because the wildlife you cannot do anything about it. You you just sit there and you have to. You have to be happy with what, what there is in front of you. Uh, obviously, you can, if you sit in a car like you often do in Africa, you can move the car slightly and so on. But with the orchids, you have to be more creative. You have to create the moods. You have to create the, uh, the angles yourself. Um, it was very often, just just as an example, you, you you find as a photographer, it was not enough to find one orchid because that orchid could not be good in a good position for photography even if it's a rare one or if it's a rare one you have to work with what you have obviously but if there is the more common ones you have to look for one if you find 15 for example you have to look for the one which is good for photography not down in a hole in the ground or full of uh, vegetation in front of it or whatever it might be so sometimes you find a cluster of, of orchids and none of them are good for photography so you try to find you go out again the day after and you try to find another area where, where you can find better ones if you don't obviously you have to work with what you have but so it was a challenge in that way and sometimes you find one which is in a perfect position and it looks good and all that but then uh, it starts raining and or heavy rain i have to go back home and then you wake up early tomorrow morning to get them in the first uh, light in the morning. Oh, then it's cloudy. Go back. Come the next day, perfect light, but it's windy. So they just, they just move constantly and it's hard to take any decent pictures. Go home again. And it was a lot of this patience. It takes a lot of patience. And also the, the pressure that in a week the flower is not there anymore because it has withered. It's brown in the edges and whatever. So it's a bit stressful as well.
0: Johan, you're making photographing orchids sound like a James Bond film.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I wouldn't say that. So
0: I want to say a massive congratulations for it. It's a fantastic book. You did mention that this is not the end of your photographing wildlife in Malta. It's just the beginning. Johan Sigerson, what's next?
1: I had a very ambitious plan to have a new book ready uh, every Christmas uh, but I just realized that uh, if I had to have a book ready for next Christmas I should have started already and I haven't because it was a lot of work with this one so I haven't had time to be honest to, to think about what the next one is going to be it's also it's not just to choose a subject because there's many subjects I would like to do but it's there, it also has to I want to do something I'm proud of but it also has to sell because this is my job So uh, there's a difference of doing flowers and doing, um, I don't know, grasshoppers, because more people are going to like flowers than grasshoppers, because some people think they are disgusting or insects in general are not nice. Um, So there's a business aspect to it, and there is also the artistic uh, aspect to it. I have some ideas, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't decided anything yet. My wife's trying to convince me to do butterflies and dragonflies.
0: She has a point because we have those different colored dragonflies and yeah. I've never seen that before in my life. You know, the dragonflies in the UK are grey. Oh, yeah. I hear they're <laughs> nice and bright blue, bright green and bright red.
1: Yeah. No, it would be, a, I think it's a great t- topic. It's probably the only insect that people, uh, the general public likes, <laughs> I would say. Your
0: wife is on to a widow there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. But it's also extremely hard.
0: Yes, they don't stay around very long. No,
1: so it's extremely hard. So uh, glue,
0: glue, on the, glue on the flowers.
1: <laughs> there, there, are but, uh, <laughs> there are some tricks, but there are some okay tricks and there are some nasty tricks which I wouldn't use. Some people uh, use freeze spray and, and things like that, which I wouldn't do, but um, it's a good idea. I don't know if I'm uh, courageous enough to take it up, though. We have to wait and see.
0: Johan Sigerson, thank you so much for being with me on the interviewer. The book is out. The book is beautiful. Where can people get it?
1: So, at the moment, it's only available directly from me, uh, Marvelous Molda's website.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. Absolutely fantastic. And thank you for being on the show. I'm off to go and look at Naked Men Orchids. Yes.
1: Fantastic. Thank you.